Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 1 through 21. Well, good morning, church. Let's click or open our Bibles to Matthew 6 and 7. We're going to be looking at both of these chapters. Uh, If you're visiting with us this morning, my name's Mark. I get to be one of the ministers here. Last week, we introduced Matthew chapter 5. We are not going into the weeds in the Sermon on the Mount. It's worth it. But for the sake of this series that we're in in Matthew, we're doing an overview of what Jesus is doing with the Sermon on the Mount and not just everything he says. So if you'll allow a little grace, there are probably some sections of this that you would like more insight and we'd love to teach on this further and give you some resources to go into that. But this is what we're doing is we're looking at the entirety of the sermon and what Jesus is trying to accomplish. I want to caution you with what we talked about last week. If you, you have two ways of looking at the Sermon on the Mount and interpreting it. You can look at it as a list of things you're supposed to do, or you can look at it as the things that God will do in you within his kingdom. 
And there's a big difference between what I'm supposed to do to please God and how trusting in the Lord will change my heart to be a kingdom person. I prefer to look at it from the perspective of what God is going to do in me as I place my heart in him. And when you take that, then it takes it from a list of things you have to accomplish to a heartbeat of why we do this. This series is called Kingdom Come. We'll be looking at the entirety of the book of Matthew, and we have learned so far about the king. And we're learning because we know who the king is, we can understand his kingdom. So in chapter one, we learn that he is the promised king, the son of David, from the throne of David that God promised. In chapter two, he's the deliverer, freeing those that are enslaved. In chapter three, we saw that he's the righteous judge who will bring the judgment of God upon the earth through his kingdom. Chapter four, we learned he's the obedient son, tempted in the the desert, took no shortcuts, honored God even at his own inconvenience and discomfort, and came out as the one blessed. And in chapter five, we learned last week that he is the true teacher of God's law, that Jesus said, I did not come to abolish what God has been doing, I came to fulfill it. So the kingdom of heaven is not a new attempt to save us, it's actually the original intent that God had been intending this all along, and here's how he goes about doing this. A few things I want you to remember. Jesus is on a hillside. He's teaching a bunch of people who have gathered to hear him preach. The word was out. This healer, this, this Messiah, it may be this guy. And so his disciples came, and those that were interested in being his disciples, and possibly even some of his critics and skeptics. It matters who was in the room or on the hill when Jesus taught because it helps us understand why he is saying what he is saying. And we learned last week that to understand what it means to let God work on you within the kingdom, that what brings you into the kingdom is is what will set your heart on the kingdom. So if you believe that you got in the kingdom because you're good, then chances are you have to remain good to stay in the kingdom. If you believe you were brought into the kingdom by the grace and mercy of Jesus, then remaining in his kingdom is to continue to rely on the grace and mercy of Jesus. Make sense? All right. And if I could have just said it that way last week, we'd been out of here in 10 minutes. All right. But here we go. So Jesus is calling us to not only enter into his kingdom, but to remain a part of his kingdom for a purpose. So how do we embrace the righteousness of this new kingdom? knowing that it's not really about what we do, but how do we embrace the privilege to hold our hearts to him? I want you to see here that there's a, there's a wholeness to Jesus' sermon. It's not chapter five, six, and seven. Matthew uh, gave us these chunks and we then gave them chapters and verses so we could index it. But when Jesus preaches, it was one whole sermon. So keep that in mind. And Jesus called us to a greater righteousness than that of the Pharisees. In other words, he said, you have to live a righteousness above what the world has documented as elite. And his crowd would have gone, wow, I don't know if I can do that. Remember, what brings you into the kingdom is what will keep you in the kingdom. It's not about, this is not performance art. Christianity is not about a presentation of yourself for the world to say, you must be one of them. In fact, it's quite different. And this theme runs throughout the entire teaching. Look at chapter six, verse one. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The Puritans would say that we are called by Jesus to live to an audience of one. 
that we are to live to an audience of one. It's not what the world thinks of us. It's not how many people think we're awesome and pious and that we're a lot better. It's, it's not the applause of men that we seek. Now, there's nothing wrong with people valuing you and seeing Jesus in you. There's nothing wrong with that. If that is your ultimate goal, however, is to present yourself as an accomplished follower of Jesus, we, you, your heart can still be disconnected from the Father. You can be doing that simply for the attention it gains for you. Jesus did not say, do not practice your righteousness. Jesus said, do not practice it so that you gain acclaim. Do not practice your righteousness so people notice how awesome you are. He calls for the practices of righteousness that connect us to God. You see, uh, it's, it's this whole thing that when we give our hearts to God, God produces the fruit of the spirit through and in us. If we give our actions to God disconnected from heart, there will be no growth. There's no completeness in Jesus if you're not trying to be complete in Jesus. It's not another list of things to do. It's not a new law, a new Torah. It's a new heart. And Jesus gives us three examples of how we're to live out this new nature with God. Three examples that are significant. Generosity, praying, and fasting. I want you to notice what he does with all three of them. So we're going to just, we're going to hop through some verses here quick and then back up and do it again. Look at verse two with me. Jesus is talking about a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees in the world. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse five. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to, to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. Verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. God is not foolish. God knows why we do what we do. So Jesus is not calling us to do more. Jesus is calling us to get connected to God. It's less about trying and more about trusting. So Jesus is showing you that God knows what you're really after. So if you want to embrace the righteousness of the kingdom, go after God. Go after a relationship with the one who called you into himself because Jesus says the futility of a righteousness that is meant for other people to notice means you get what you have and you won't get much. But look at the promise of pursuing God first, verse three. And when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse six, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 17, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See what Jesus did there? Again, he's still comparing, comparing rather, a righteousness that the world notices and a righteousness that God notices. So we get to ask ourselves which question, which are we pursuing? Jesus gives us basic tenets of a righteous heart that we do not seek man's acclaim. We don't this isn't performance art. We don't do this to be noticed. We don't show off. And secondly, 
We pursue what God has required of us. We pursue a depth with God. So even our giving, our praying, and our fasting is in secret because we're certain God is aware, and that is enough. And then God who sees rewards because he's a good father. He's not a king who demands you serve him because you ought to. He actually creates in us the desire to serve him because we want to. If I can summarize, I'd say it this way. In the new kingdom, we give because we have been given to, and that's enough. In the new kingdom, we pray because we cherish the fact that creator God Almighty is available to us, and that is enough. And in the new kingdom, we feed our soul deeper things than food and drink and find that that's enough. Do you remember Jesus' words? I have food to eat that you know nothing of. Challenging us to pursue the heart of God. And I want to back up because it, it, I'm an idiot if I go by the Lord's Prayer and don't point out significance here. I want you to know that in the, in the model prayer there, verses 9 through 15 of Luke chapter 6, Jesus is not telling us what to pray. He's telling us how to pray. Later, his disciples, they teach us to pray, and Jesus will give them a model again. It's not, it's not what to pray, it's how to pray. So let me express it this way. The first three sections of the Lord's Prayer are about God's honor, God's kingdom, and God's will. Do you see the connection here? We don't pray to get things from God. We pray to get God, that God's kingdom, that God's honor, and that God's will will be ours and will be known and the glory of God will be shown. And then we can pray for things like necessities, forgiveness, and deliverance because of God's character. When we get God, we get so many other things that we may not even be aware of. So Jesus teaches us how to pray, and that is to pursue God and seek him. So how do you embrace the kingdom righteousness? You embrace the one who brought you into the kingdom, and that'll be enough. How do you protect your heart for the kingdom? Jesus is going to give us three things here in the remaining part of chapter 6 and beginning into chapter 7. You're going to notice that Jesus gives us not a, a warning per se, but an encouragement to hold on to the kingdom heart. So he brought us into the kingdom to be light in a dark world. That light penetrates all darkness and brings things to bear. So what should our lives be like when life tests us? What are the things that can distract us from God being foremost? Gee, this is crystal clear on this. It all begins with our relationship with who God is and the mercy that he's shown us. So what are the things that can take the awareness of who God is out of our lives and cause our hearts to become self-righteous rather than kingdom righteous? Remember what brings you into the kingdom is what will hold you there. So hold on to the things that brought you into the kingdom. Jesus begins by telling us, never let riches be your security. Never let riches and wealth be the thing that makes you feel secure. Verses 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I got two, two quick questions for you. Feel free to answer out loud. Is Jesus against riches? Can riches be used for his kingdom? So we have a fair interpretation of what Jesus has consistently said. So before you go, oh, here's the preacher. He's either after my, my checkbook or he's going to shame me. I'm not going to do either. Not after your money. After your heart. 
As a pastor, it's a fool to understand that Jesus has been crystal clear about something that we like to argue about. Jesus has told us very clearly, our preoccupation with wealth is idolatry. It's not close to idolatry, it is idolatry. And he's not only going to give us this truth, but he's going to point some things out. He tells us in verses 19 and 20, material things don't last. So why would you invest your life, your heart, in something that you're not going to take with you? Even if you leave it to your family, it's not a bad thing to do so. Jesus is not against having things. He's against things having you. He says in verse 21, if you focus on the riches of the earth, it will bind you to the earth. You only have so much loyalty to give. Verses 22 and 23, concentrating on things will cloud our vision of who he is. And I'm going to confess as your pastor, I I struggle with this. I I think as my birthdays keep mounting that there's going to be a day that I'm not going to be doing this and and. How are Heather and I going to survive? And I, I know that we're, we're doing well, but I still can't stop my mind from often going to this whole thought of, I, I wonder if we'll have enough. I, I wonder if we'll be able to retire. I, I wonder how different our lives will be after this. And I have to remind myself all the time that God's like, yeah, you're, you're so worried about protecting your future that you're not even living your now with me. And I'm sure I'm the only one in the room. <laughs> Thank you for that. Jesus tells us in verse 24 very clearly, You cannot serve God in money. He doesn't say you may not, you should not. He says you cannot. We cannot let riches become our security. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise and we shouldn't invest and we shouldn't save. The Bible talks about all of those things. But over and above the kingdom and the king is a foolish mistake. I am so grateful sincerely for those of you who have invested in this ministry that we might make a difference in our lifetime with the gospel message. And there are many of you in this room who faithfully and sacrificially give consistently so that each and every week we can meet the needs of people do right here, right now, and that we can support missionaries that are planning churches and and dealing with people's needs throughout the globe. People will never meet in this lifetime, but don't you forget the words of Jesus. For those who give because they want the kingdom to grow and their loyalty is to God foremost, God hasn't missed one of those gifts. He notices every single one of them. So we give because we want to give to the kingdom. And I encourage those of you who have never experienced the joy of doing this, try God out. This is not about Christ Church of Orinoco. This is about opportunities to share the glory of God throughout the globe today. Let it never be that our resources cloud us from the kingdom that we would sacrifice in such a way that God would do an amazing thing because if we set our hearts on wealth, we cannot set our hearts on his kingdom. And he also says, I want you to notice the progression. He says, don't forget his compassion towards you. Well, this is my summary. Jesus is encouraging us not to forget his compassion toward us. Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? I think it's incredibly significant that Jesus would follow up a challenge that your loyalty, your allegiance will either be to wealth and protecting yourself or to God and protecting God's kingdom. He follows it right up then Not a separate issue, but then he says, and when you worry about whether you will have enough, you're actually questioning the character of God. 
You're questioning whether the God who brought you into his kingdom by mercy and grace will all of a sudden forget about you. Look at verse 32. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Oh, I get it, Mark. So if if I start investing in the kingdom, he's going to give me twice the amount back? No, that's ridiculous. That's very popular in America today. It's just not very biblical. You see, what I've learned is when I pursue the things of God, he doesn't give me everything I desire. He gives me everything I need. Now, he and I have had some debates about whether my desires could be called needs, but normally he wins. God says, I am going to take care of you. Don't think I brought you into my kingdom to forget about you. Can a parent forget a hurting, needy child? If we're capable of that, what might God be capable of? So if we seek his kingdom and keep God at the forefront, then the things we worry about, they actually become kind of unnecessary. Verse 24, just a summary. Why should we not worry? Because the God who delivers still delivers. Riches never will. Verses 26 to 30, why should we not worry? Because creation is cared for without earning it. Why do you think you have to earn it? Verses 32 and 33, we should not worry because God has pursued you and he will never stop pursuing you. So the third one is found in chapter seven. Let God handle the judging. We get to offer them the glory of God's kingdom. Now, if anybody can quote a verse in the world today, even the unchurched can quote a verse from the Sermon on the Mount, they will quote it not knowing it's from the Sermon on the Mount and not knowing where to find it, but they know it's in there. Even the world knows, for God so loved the world because it's all the major sporting events. But they will quote this to a Christian in a heartbeat. Judge not, lest you be judged. But they forget verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So did Jesus just contradict himself? Do not judge. But when you do. No, what he's suggesting here is... Focus on the phrase, the measure you use. You cannot not judge behavior. You were built to do so. Phrase it this way. You have two children. You see your oldest child hitting your youngest child. Did Jesus just tell you not to judge that behavior? Let it go. It's not your business. Or is it not your business to tell your older child, it's not going to work out well for you if you keep doing that. You're not going to have any friends. Your siblings are going to hate you. It's not right to hit people. You don't get to control people physically like this. Are you with me? You would not think that that's outside of God's will for you to say to your child, that's not proper behavior. That's unacceptable. Now, let me change it the other way. You see a coworker stealing from your company. If you cared about this person, you would what? You would tell them you shouldn't be doing that. You're going to lose your job. You're going to go to jail. You're going to get in a lot of trouble. This is not proper behavior. Nod your head if you at least agree with me. If the person next to you didn't nod their head, hit them and see if they now agree with me. (laughs) When they look at you going, stop it. Don't hit me. Why? Because don't judge me. You see, when we misinterpret this text, we totally miss the point well beyond scope. Jesus is saying that there is moments in life where if you cared about someone, you would judge that the poison of sin is hurting them and others. 
You would say that to your children. You should say it to people you love. Who am I to love? Everyone. You see, the only judgment, well, clearly, the judgment that you and I are never allowed to do is to judge the eternal destination of another person. We don't know enough, we're not wise enough, and we can't read their hearts. We may know their personality and their tendencies, but we cannot decide. I will not send anyone to hell. I cannot send anyone to heaven. Jesus is the righteous judge. He does it better than all of us together. So because of that, though, Jesus said, and the measure you use. How did Jesus judge you in your sin? Did he condemn you, dismiss you, and tell you to get away? Or did he not invest in you, call you out of sin to a life of hope, forgive your sins, and pay the price for your sins? Did he not do that? The measure that he used on us should be the measure in which we judge other people's sin. We are not the executioner. We are the physician. And in a world that says, well, it's just none of my business, are we not here today to celebrate the fact that Jesus made our sin his business? Instead of abandoning us, he invested in us. He loved us when we hated him. When we were in total rebellion, he sacrificed his life that we might have hope. The measure you use will be the measure held to you. What brings you into the kingdom is what keeps your heart in the kingdom. And then in Matthew 7, 12, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus began the heart of this sermon from last week in explaining what the law of the prophets were. Remember when he said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard this interpretation, but let me tell you what God means. You've heard that you can get away with this, but God says, no, I meant what I said. Now, Jesus says that when we love others and love God, we are fulfilling the law and the pro God's rules, God's ideas, God's ideals have never changed. Jesus said, I'm going to demonstrate them to you so that you might demonstrate them to the world, not so that the world notices, but so that God does. We embrace the righteousness of the kingdom by pursuing God. We protect our heart from the kingdom by making sure that nothing is distracting us from pursuing God and letting his kingdom flow. So there are choices all followers of Jesus have. Jesus actually concludes his message with what I see are four comparisons, four choices, if you will, that we get to make. But I want to be crystal clear because right now if we went old school, the pianist would come out and st slowly start to play all 97 verses of Just As I Am. And I would hold you here until someone gave up the ghost and came forward so we could call this a good Sunday. Some of the old schoolers like, yeah, I remember those days. Well, everybody chill. Because normally when an invitation was offered in that setting, it, was, it wasn't a bad thing. I'm grateful for it because it was one of the things that motivated me every Sunday to go, am I willing to make this decision? But I'm not offering choices to you, nor is Jesus offering choices to people who aren't his disciples yet. He's actually offering it to the entire valley. And so am I. You see, the choices we make are about allegiance. And a Christian does not make a choice of allegiance once. A Christian makes a choice of allegiance every day. If you made a decision when you were 13 at church camp 
or 16 in, or 18 in college or after you became an adult and you were broken by the grace of God and you came to him. If you made a decision, you're like, Mark, I made these choices. No, our allegiance is declared every day. As for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. Not, it's not a promise to serve the Lord. It's a serving of the Lord. Look at the comparisons. There's a challenging way and a comfortable way. Verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus is crystal clear here. Following him will challenge you, will challenge your comfort, it will challenge your wisdom, it'll challenge your heart to keep growing. But the way of religion, the way of the Pharisees, the way of the world, it's comfortable. Everybody's doing it. It's popular. It doesn't cost you much. Believe in Jesus and keep living your life and he's going to save you anyway. So don't worry about the details. Do you hear Jesus? You have to make a choice. We said it last week. You may not know where he's taking you, but you'll always know who you're with. We have to choose this day, each and every one of us, whether it's your first time or the 70th year of your faithfulness to Christ, you choose today where your allegiance is and which path you'll stay on. There's a righteous teaching and a self-centered teaching. Look at verse 15 and 16. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Let me tell you something. I, I went to bed last night, went to bed early. I was tired, I was cold, so I just crawled in bed. I was gonna read for a little while and I checked the weather as I always do. And I realized that it was gonna be Colder than beyond cold this morning when I walked across this parking lot. I'm a baby. I don't like being cold. So I decided when I went to bed, I said, I'm going to dress really, really warm. Even though it's going to be normal human temperatures this afternoon, I won't be here and I still have to go to my car. So I know you don't care, but I was thinking, I'm going to go get the biggest, heaviest sweater I own and I'm going to wrap up and be comfortable today. And I got up this morning and I put on the biggest wool sweater I had. And then I remembered my text. They come to you in sheep's clothing. So I changed for that reason. <laughs> because I know some people come up, hey, are those new pants? Are those new shoes? I'm like, you notice what I'm wearing? And I thought, not today, church, not today. <laughs> I say this to this church regularly, and I'll continue to say it as long as you give me the privilege of preaching here. Don't trust me. Some of you come in here with no Bibles. You just think I'm going to tell you the truth. Do you know me? I mean, do you really know my heart? Some of you are like, what? What is he doing? Yeah, I'm trying to get fired. No, what I'm trying to say to you is this. Have any of you seen my transcripts in, from Bible college? Do you know if I passed any classes? Do you know that I actually have a degree? Do you know I have any... Some of you are like, what are you doing? I'm trying to tell you that if you blindly follow a teacher, you can be blindly led astray. Bring your Bibles. Find out if the Bible says, how do you know what I'm putting on the screen is accurate? Jesus says, you need to test the teachers. Church, that is your responsibility. The elders do that for all of us, but don't let any teacher teach you unless the word of God is open and the Holy Spirit is speaking. We're, we have to make a choice. Is the teaching leading you to give God glory or to seek your own? Does it prompt you to help and serve and give your life away for others? Or is it simply to protect what you have and feel good about it? 
There's so much here. In John 15, 10, Jesus said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. What are we called to do? To promote the gospel and the kingdom of heaven, not our own comfort, our own ease, and our own peace of mind. All right, that was rough. Let's go to the third one. A holy intention or a theoretical intention? Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Wow. Did we just flip back to works now? Now, let me, I'm going to try to explain this as, as concisely and quickly as I can. Jesus is your Savior. You have to make him your Lord. Many of us have misconstrued this and we thought I'll save your Lord same time no 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 he died on the cross was raised by his own power from death to life that we might have hope in him he has offered that to every single breathing human being who's ever walked in his creation he made us so that he could come he he offered us his perfect kingdom we threw it away because we're selfish and we're willful and then he came in as our savior don't doubt for a moment that Jesus can be your savior you make him Lord And Jesus said, not everyone who says I'm their Lord is actually under my Lordship. We get to choose today. Are we going to have a holy intention or a theoretical intention? You can call him Lord, but you know whether or not he is. And how do you know he is? Everything is based on him. Any part of our lives that are not geared to the goodness of Christ and proclaiming his glory and building his kingdom Anything is an idol that needs toppled. And none of those things are bad within themselves, but under the lordship of Jesus, they all become amazing. And there's a proven foundation and a foolish foundation. Look with me at verses 24 through 29. If you ever go to a preaching class, they'll tell you that you never end a sermon this way, but I guess when you're God, you get away with it. Here we go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams arose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now go home. I don't know if that's exactly how he ended the sermon. I think Matthew was was bringing in his teachings and maybe he did end it this way. But what Jesus is telling us is this, there's a foundation that will prove itself, it's Jesus. And there's a foundation that will prove it is not enough to sustain you. Jesus does not end his sermon saying, should it possibly rain on your prop? No, he says, when the storms come, and if you're of any age, if you're past the age of 20, you'll realize this, it's not a matter of if storms come, it's a matter of how many come, amen? The testing comes and proves our choices. So whether you've been a believer for 60 years or you're just trying to figure out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I want you to know the choices Jesus lays out at the end of this great sermon is for every single one of us. Where is our allegiance? Who is our foundation? Not what, who is your foundation? Is the kingdom of heaven what causes your, I don't mean that one day in the clouds moment. I mean where God gets what God wants because God is a good God and he deserves it all, including my heart. 
So this morning behind you are some tables with lamps lit on those. And we have some people heading back to those tables now as I speak, and they're gonna meet you back there to pray with you, to encourage you, to answer your questions, whether today's the day for the very first time you accept the saving work of Jesus and make him Lord of your life. It's a choice you get to make. And for some of us, maybe it's a choice we need to remake. Our jobs, our sports, our our activities, there's nothing wrong with any of them unless they've replaced the centrality and foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus because nothing should ever supersede the importance of what God did for us in Jesus and what he can do for those around us, amen? So this morning, if you need encouragement, prayer, some questions, we'd like to show you on the pathway of discipleship, God has given you certain habits and routines and people in your life to help you find completeness in Jesus. Don't let today go, make a choice. Is he my Lord? Because if he is, all allegiance belongs to Jesus. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.